Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's everything, right? Like when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll, you'll obey my commands. He's not saying, prove your love for me. He's not saying, oh, you, oh you, th- you tell people you love me, you want to prove it? Do what I tell you to do. Then, you'll, then you can, it's, it's not that kind of thing. It's an invitation into this thing of friendship with him that comes first, of loving him that comes first. And then the product of that, what that produces in our lives is the desire to do what he's called us to do. But not because we have a checklist, but because as you become, as you love him, like how many of you guys realize like in a relationship when you love somebody and you live in this love relationship with them, you become like each other? Well, Jesus isn't becoming like you. So that means all of the changing is you becoming like him. He already became who you were. That part's already been done so that you could become who he is. So this change that's happening continually is not Jesus becoming more like you. It's you becoming more like him as you get to know him and as you fall more in love with him and you're changed. And so the byproduct of falling in love with Jesus and being changed is that you actually do the things he's called you to do, but not because you have a checklist of things you're trying to do, but because you actually are becoming like him. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. It's not him saying like, well, yeah, you say you love me. Why don't you go and obey my commands then? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, here's the deal. This is how like, you'll know that you love me, is that you find yourself doing the things I've called you to do out of love for me, not out of a need to prove something. So when you respond, like when it says in the word that a kind answer turns away wrath. When someone's angry and you actually are in love with Jesus, you have nothing but kindness towards them inside of you. You're not going to the Bible and saying, oh, what did you say about when someone's angry? What did you say about wrath? I know there's a verse in there. Some, it's not, that's not what life is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be you saying, like, well, I know he said, like, I want to just go rip their head off. But I know Jesus said somewhere something, or the word says somewhere something about kindness. Oh, yeah, a kind answer turns. Like, that's not even genuine kindness. That's you putting on an act because of something you've read rather than something you've become. The whole point of the reading is the becoming. That's the point of it. It's to become it. Because as you become like him, suddenly when someone is angry and full of wrath, even if it's directed at you, and maybe especially when it's directed at you, and maybe even in and especially when it's not because of anything you've done wrong. Like, think about, like, like when, when someone's angry at you because you've done something wrong, it's a lot easier to be, like, sorry and, and kind. And, uh, you know, like, I remember not long ago when I smashed the front of my wife's car. I did. <laughs> I, I was, it's got, it doesn't, it's, I, it doesn't have a shifter. It has this stupid push button transmission. <laughs> and there's a button right below the drive button that is a mode button. And, and there's these other buttons and, and the reverse button's this thing that you like pull, it's the drive button you push. And if you don't pull it quite hard enough, it doesn't actually shift. And so I was, 
leaving a meeting at Panera, and I was in the parking lot, and I started to leave, and I thought, maybe I should pick up Patty and the kids' breakfast, because they were running late this morning. I left to go to the meeting, and they were just getting up, and they're running behind. Maybe I should grab breakfast, but I don't want to pick up breakfast for everybody if they've already eaten. So I pulled into the parking lot, a parking space, and I, you know, like, this is the out of goodness, <laughs> right? And, and I, I, I pulled into a parking spot, and I called Patty, and I'm like, hey, uh, I, do you want me to pick up breakfast for, for you and the kids, or at least the kids? I'm on my way home right now. I could be there um, in like 15 minutes with it. And, um, and she said, um, no thanks, I already ate. And so I said, okay. So I put it in reverse to back, back out to leave again and look behind me <laughs> and hit the gas and shot forward into a telephone pole, into the concrete base around a telephone pole. And I was instantly sorry. And I was instantly full of nothing but, like, kindness in my heart. And when I called my wife, I said, I, I did something really, really stupid. It was bad. And she's like, what did you do? And I said, I, 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 I smashed the front of your car. And, well, she wasn't super thrilled that I had done this. <laughs> um, but how many of you know, like, when, when you've done something wrong, when someone is angered by what you've done, it's really easy for you to follow that with kindness. It's really easy for you to say, you know, look, I'm so sorry that you feel that way, and I promise, like, you know, da, da, da. And it was fine. She got over it well, and she hardly ever brings it up anymore. <laughs> she hardly ever does. Aaliyah brings it up pretty often, actually. <laughs> um. But what about when, like, you've, you've actually been wronged? And then someone's angry at you when they're the one who's in the wrong. Like, when the Pharisees are angry at Jesus and want him to be put to death, yet they're the ones who are in the wrong. I promise you, going and trying to find a verse is not what you need in that moment. What you need is that you've found him prior to that, so you've actually been changed so that there's actually grace and kindness inside of you because it's what you've become, not something you're trying to do. So that when people are, are coming at you wrathfully, especially when maybe they're in the wrong, your response isn't to defend yourself and put them in their place and tell them how wrong they are. Your response is kindness because that's what's inside of you, not because you're trying to turn away their wrath by following a formula, but because you've actually become a kind person, so all there is inside of you is kindness. So when someone comes at you, like you don't even have the ability to respond any other way because you've laid that aside, you've put off the old self, you've been renewed by being by, in the spirit of your mind, so you've been transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you've put on Christ. So you've put on love and kindness and gentleness and mercy and self-control. You've put on Christ. You're filled with the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is what's going to come out of you in those moments because that's what's inside of you, not because you're trying to prove something to Jesus, but because you actually love Him. So when you love someone, you become like the one you love. When you behold Him, you become like the one you behold. If your eye is single, your whole body is filled with light. 
So I'm spending my days looking at Jesus so my body is filled with light. So when darkness comes, the only thing that can come out of me is light because it's the only thing that's inside of me because of who I'm spending my time with and who I'm giving myself to. Does that make, make sense? Like, that's why like, when we read these verses we talked about last week about where he says, you know, my, 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 he says, let the foolish and the wicked man abandon their, their ways and their thoughts. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. So much higher are my thoughts than your thoughts, and my ways than your ways. Higher than the heaven is above the earth. He says, listen, abandon that way of thinking, because there's, this, there's something that's better that I have. Not like, abandon that way, and wish that you could have this way, because it's way better, but you can't. That wouldn't even make any sense. It'd be like if, if, if I was with Dylan hanging out and I saw him eating this nasty, disgusting, like three-day-old peanut butter and jelly where the jelly had turned the bread clear. You know what I'm talking about? When the jelly sits too long on the bread and the bread gets like turned like the color of jelly and it's soggy. I see him pull this thing out of the wrapper and I look at him and I say, bro, throw that thing away. I just made tacos that are amazing. And he goes, oh, okay. He throws the sandwich away and then comes over and puts his hand up for a taco. And I smack his hand and say, what, do you think I was going to give you one of these? That's ridiculous. I was just telling you, don't do that. Not, you can have this. Well, yeah, but you told me to get rid of that because you had something better. I just assumed if you were telling me to get rid of what I had because you had something better, then that would mean that the better thing you had was actually available to me if I would abandon the thing. You see what we've done with the Word of God when we read things and we take them as God in heaven taunting us rather than a Father inviting us. Wouldn't that be silly? Like, if anyone was watching that happen, they'd be like, what is wrong with you? You made this poor guy believe that you were going to give him something better, so he did what you said and threw away the thing that he had, and now you're not going to give him the better thing that you told him you had? Why would you do that? But we have no problem doing that to God when we stand in front of people at a funeral because we don't understand something and say, well, you know, his ways. Listen, I'm not saying that you're always going to have God all figured out, but I am saying that if that becomes our answer anytime we don't understand something, that becomes our ceiling to understanding God rather than an invitation into knowing him and his thoughts and his ways more than we do now. And so I had a bunch, I remember last week I was like, oh, there's so much more I want to preach. And, you know, sometimes like if I don't get to things in a message, I go back and I look at it and I'm like, maybe God, that was just for me. You know, there's a reason I didn't. But then sometimes I'm like, no, you really, this is something I need to get to. And so I want to talk today just about what that looks like practically, you know, because it's one thing to say, like, abandon your thoughts and ways because his are better. But what does that look like in our lives? Like, how do we actually abandon our thoughts and ways? And what does it look like to know and to take on his thoughts and ways? Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2 is a verse that's been preached 50 million times um, with good reason. Um, but it says, it says um, therefore do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. And so he says, listen, there's, there's two ways that you could go in life. You can be conformed by the world, or you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the confirmation of this world is something that you actually started the minute that you were born. Because you were born into Adam, and so the way that you thought was influenced by the nature of sin that was inside of you. Every man was born into a sinful nature because of the sin of Adam. We were all born into that. 
That's why every one of us has to be born again. It's why we can't ever take the excuse of, well, God must want me this way because I was born this way as a valid excuse for anything that God tells us is not something that he desires, wants, or created us for. We do that with certain sins. If we're not careful, that's becoming a more popular thing that you hear people say, well, well, I was born this way, I didn't choose this thing, so therefore that must mean that this is how God wanted me because God created me this way. Do you realize like, how, how wicked that way of thinking is and how twisted it is? And it sounds like humble and it actually sounds like it's reverence to God. If we're not careful, it starts to become this argument that we get put into where it's like, were well, you coming against the way God created me? Maybe God didn't create you that way. Maybe the fall of man made you that way and that's why you have to be born again. When my little son was one year old, he was in childcare, and a little baby crawled over, a one-year-old baby crawled over, grabbed him on the face and bit his cheek so hard it drew blood. Do you think anyone ever taught that baby to bite people's faces? Did anyone sit down with that child and say, now listen, when you see another kid, what you need to do is crawl over there as fast as you can and grab them by their face. Now, when you grab them, you make sure you get behind the head so they can't pull their head away and you pull them into you. And once you've got a firm grip and you know they can't get away, you open up and you latch onto their cheek and you bite down as hard as you can. And, 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 and you do that whenever you see, no, no one ever sat down and taught them that. But here's what we didn't do. We didn't take that little baby aside as they got older and tell them, you know, you're a biter. And it's obvious that God wanted you to be one because long before anybody taught you anything, you desired to bite people. And, and, and if God didn't want you to bite people, certainly you wouldn't have born, been born wanting to bite people. So I know it sounds contrary to some things you'll read in the Word of God, but that can't apply to you, and it can't apply to, 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 to the way that you live, because no one taught you this, so that must mean this is the way that God desired for you to be. No, we took the child aside, and we said, listen, like, no, because that's all they understood at that age. No, we don't do that. And if they were a little older and they did it, we would explain to them, we don't do that, that hurts people. We don't do that. That's not showing love to people. We don't do that. God's word says that we're not to, to do things like that to other people. There's a place in God's word where it talks about this. And we, and we would teach them that even though this is something that no one taught you to do and that you wanted to do before being taught, now truth has to come. And eventually they'll come to a place where they have to be born again because they were born the first time into Adam. And all things have to pass away so that everything can become new. And you guys, you have to understand this. Like, every one of us was born with a bend towards something or some things that were not of God that nobody taught us. You see it in the nursery. You're like, them little kids are going to need to be born again. Because one of them grabs a toy and the other one says, mine, and grabs the toy from them. Did anyone teach them to be selfish? Did anyone go to them and say, listen, here's what you need to do the rest of your life. When somebody grabs something and you want it, you just snatch it from them and tell them mine. And you're okay being selfish because nobody taught you to be that way. That must be the way that God wants you to be. Or do we teach them, that's actually the way Adam taught you to be. That's why you have to be born again into Christ, the second Adam, and actually deny the old self and put on Christ, the new you. Turn your Bibles real quick to Ephesians. Um, chapter 4. And so, so here's the thing is, 
We don't say these things out of like a need to set people straight. We say these things out of like the love that we have for them. Like when you're talking to somebody and you're saying these things to them, it's not this need that you have inside to set them straight. It's this desire you have for them to come and know the will of God for their life because you're convinced that his ways are better and his thoughts are better. And that higher than, the heaven, as, as, as higher than the heavens are above the earth, so much better is his way of living than the way of living that you currently have. So get rid of the old so that you can actually put on the new. Because one requires the other. Ephesians tells us this. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says this. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord. Paul's saying, listen, like, this isn't just my thoughts and opinions. You understand, like, when he says, and this I say, and affirm together with the Lord. He's saying, like, this is Christ saying this to you guys. You understand, like, he went off to be alone with Jesus and spent years in the desert alone receiving the revelation of, of, of this gospel that we preach. And so when he's coming and saying these things and he's writing these letters to the church, he's wanting them to know, like, this isn't just me shooting from the hip giving you an opinion. This is actually coming from something the Lord Jesus taught me. He says, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you, know, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. You understand, like, sensuality is not just sexual stuff. It means you're driven by your senses. He says, and being driven by your senses causes you to be given over to every kind of evil thing, every kind of impurity with greediness. Why? Because you just want more. Like there's no end to what you desire when you're living for yourself and you're living by your senses and by your feelings and by your desires. There's no end to it. We, we sometimes wonder, like you see these people get to this place in life and you're like, how did they get there? It's because that's the natural course when you're chasing after yourself. There's never an end and you constantly have to go further and further and further, and further, and there's no end to it. The only thing that brings an end to that path of depravity is death, one way or the other. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Not in what way? Not in a way that's driven by your senses and your feelings. Listen, like there's nothing wrong with, with, with the senses he gave you, but he gave you those senses to experience him and his goodness, not, not to, to pervert them and live in a way that is opposing the way that he calls us to live. He gave you feelings so that you could feel and experience things he created you to feel and experience, not so that you could be deceived by them and live apart from his word. If your feelings are leading you to a place that you can't find in the life of Jesus, it's not a feeling that he created you to feel. It's a perversion of feeling that was created by the fall of man. Because there's no way. Like people would say, well, well, God's jealous, so therefore there's a right for me to be jealous. No, God's not jealous the way that humans are jealous. God's jealous in the way that he wants the best for us, and he understands that he is the best thing for us. So he wants us for himself because he is the greatest thing that we can ever discover. It's because of our best interest that he's jealous for us, not because he doesn't want his feelings to get hurt by the things that we do. Don't, don't buy that. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and been taught him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind 
and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You know, I'm going to say something that maybe might shock some of us to hear, but we sometimes find ourselves saying, every person you see is created in the image and likeness of God. Every person you see is created for the image and likeness of God. Humanity was originally created in the image and likeness of God, but sin came and marred everything. And it says right here that actually it's the new self. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You realize that the old you that you have to actually lay aside that has to die is not actually the image of God. It's the image that man found themselves in when man fell and fell short of the grace of God. Do you understand? Like, like, so when you look at people and you see them doing these evil things, you think, man, they, but they're created in the image and the likeness of God. No, what you're seeing is not the image and likeness of God. What you're seeing is, some, is a perversion of what man was created to be to begin with, and it's the reason that every man has to die so that we can become born again into Christ. Because the man that you see that was born into Adam is not in the image and likeness of God. They're created for the image and likeness of God. And until the old self is actually put, put off and the new self is put on, there's not the image and likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. The image and likeness of God in righteousness and holiness comes when you're actually born again, a new creation, and the new self comes because the old self has been put off. I knew it would probably go over like that, but it's the truth. Well, it has to be because this is what the word says. Lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Does that sound like the image and likeness of God? Not to me. And be trans- and, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Does that sound like the image of God and the likeness of God? Yeah. But one has to be put off before the other can actually be put on. That's why Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must first deny himself and then take up his cross daily and come after me. And so, so when, when, we, when we say that, like, it's not this thing of, 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 there is this point of salvation, right? Where like there, you, you see your need for a Savior, and you confess that Jesus is Lord, and you, and you ask Him to come and be the Lord of your life, and you receive everything he, he died on the cross for, and righteousness comes, and holiness comes, and that is when the old self is put off and the new self is put on. But then there's this daily thing of denying the old self and putting on the new Christ and actually following Jesus. So, so, so one is an automatic thing where it's like I, I, I ask him to come into my life. I ask him to be my savior. I receive, I, I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is both savior and Lord. And he comes and salvation comes and all things pass away and everything becomes new. But then there's this, this walk of following Jesus where I have to actually be transformed by renewing my mind and changing the way that I think. Where I once thought this way, I now think this way. And I can't think that just because I'm born again, everything that I think, it lines up with the way that he's called me to live. I have to have this filter That's why I have to know the word of God, because when I open the word of God and I see what Jesus says and I see the way that Jesus lived, I see what I'm called to and I see the way that I'm called to live. 
the, the, the whole thing of, like, of, of being transformed by renewing my mind means I think differently, and it changes not only the way that I live, but it changes who I am. And so now I'm actually being renewed. I'm being transformed. It's no longer something I just do. It's actually someone that I'm becoming as I follow him and as I fall more and more in love with him. I become more and more like him. And suddenly I've abandoned my ways and thoughts and I've taken his ways and thoughts. And it's a daily thing of denying myself and taking up my cross and following Jesus daily. Yesterday's obedience positions me for obedience today, but it doesn't guarantee it. I have to choose it. You, are you guys? No, I'm telling you, listen. This is, but this to me is exciting stuff because it means that there's no reason that I ever have to live the way that I did before truth came. I can actually be changed by that and I can live differently. So, so it looks like this. It looks like if I open the Bible and I see, just say in Ephesians, it talks about in, in chapter 4, I think it's verse 31, it says, therefore lay aside all anger and malice and wrath. It says, it says lay that aside. I hear Jesus in another place say, be anxious over nothing. Let's take that one. So I, I hear Jesus say, or the word of God say, um, Paul wrote, he said, therefore be anxious over nothing, but with everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, make your supplications known before the Lord. So I, I see the word of God says to be anxious over nothing. So when I see that, it should cause me into, to go into this place of God. I know that you've called me in your word to be anxious over nothing. I, get, I see it. And I know that if your word calls me to something, that means there's a grace available for me to actually live the way that you've called me to live. But then there's this place of honesty of like, but God, I sometimes struggle with anxiety. I sometimes get anxious. And I need you to lead me and guide me into truth. I need you to father me to a place where I understand the truth so that I can't be anxious. Because anxiety just means there's a lack of trust in you or a lack of knowledge that I can trust. So if I find myself being anxious, for, for example, he said, he said, um, he said why, do you, why do you worry about what you will eat or what you will wear? He says, even the Gentiles go after those things. But your father who's in heaven, he sees the sparrows and he knows when a feather falls. He says, he clothes the flowers in their, and, and Solomon, all his splendor, didn't look as beautiful as them. He says, if that's how he cares about sparrows and flowers, how much more important are you to him, his children? So there's this truth that comes on the other side of the command to not worry about what I'm going to eat and drink, and it's because my Father loves me and promised that he will provide the things that I need. And so I, I don't just say, well, I'm never going to worry about this again. I say, well, I'll never worry about that stuff again because I have a promise from God that's greater than my worry. So if I find myself in a place where I'm worrying about how I'm going to eat or what I'm going to wear, it's because I've lost sight of the promise that he made that he would always provide those things for me. And so once I believe that promise, the ability to be anxious about the lack of it that I might see goes away. 
And that's a small thing, right? But it's the way that we're called to live, to be honest with ourselves, to where we get alone with him and we actually let him change us and we become transformed by the way that we think being renewed. So rather than living like a Gentile that doesn't know God and chases after these things and thinks the only way I'm going to get is by my ability to get, I actually have a greater truth that says I don't live like the Gentiles that don't know him as father. I live like one of his sons and daughters. And there's a promise from him that says that he will provide these things for me. He says, for your heavenly father knows what you need. He knows my needs, and so he'll provide these things for me. So now the ability to be anxious is gone, but not because I told myself, don't be anxious. I didn't get alone and start this, this, this theology of saying, I'm not anxious, I'm not anxious, I'm not anxious, I'm not anxious. Yeah, you are. You're just lying to yourself. Now you're a hypocrite, which is even worse because you still are what you said you weren't, but you've lied to yourself and said you're not. And then people around you that watch you be anxious are going, no, no you are anxious. You're like, I don't receive that. Don't you speak that over me. What are you talking about? This isn't witchcraft. It's Jesus. Like, no, I'm just pointing out the truth that right now you're living in a whole lot of anxiety. I'm not anxious. I'm not anxious. I'm not anxious. I'm not. That's not what it's about. It's about saying I'm not anxious about that because my father has spoken. Because there's a truth that's greater than what I feel right now. Because I don't live according to my senses. I've put that aside. I've put on the new man, which is being renewed in the spirit of my mind. The way that I think is changing because truth has come. And so now that I know this truth, I can no longer worry the way I did before the truth came. That's what it looks like to be transformed. It's not this, this thing of like grabbing a verse and repeating it 50 million times. You know, it's, I'm not sick, 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 I'm true, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. It's like people are looking at you going, no, dude, you really are sick, right? And that's not what it's about. It's not denying the fact that I'm sick, but it's denying that this sickness has any right to be in my body and has any right to stay here if he has taken stripes for my healing. So, and rather than saying, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I say, right now, this is how I feel, but I know there's a greater truth. And so, God, I thank you for your truth. And suddenly I'm focused on what he said rather than how I feel. And if I don't feel good right in the moment, that's a great way for me to live by faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the assurance of things unseen. So even if I don't see it in the moment, I have an assurance and it's called faith because I've heard what he said. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I know what you've spoke. Now I have faith and now grace has somewhere to land because I actually have a faith in what you've said rather than what I see. That's what, that, that's what living by faith is. It's not saying, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. It's saying, God, this is the way that I feel, but I thank you that your promises are greater than my feelings. And I thank you that you said, I thank you, God, that I can find a scripture that says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, give him praise, who saved my life from the pit, who heals all my diseases. I thank you, God, that I can find in your word that one of your names is the God who healed and you called yourself that. I thank you that you said, if there be sick among you, let them call for the elders. And when they pray the prayer of faith, they'll be healed. And if they've sinned, their sins will be forgiven. God, I thank you that there's a promise in your word greater than what I feel in this moment. And so I'm going to stand on what you say until I see it. And that's what living by faith is. It's not a life of saying, I'm just going to deny this. It's saying, I deny that because I accept something that's greater. So I deny myself and I take up my cross, and I follow him. So one allows the other. Do you understand that until you've denied yourself, you can't even follow him? You realize that, like, if life is still about you, you can't follow Jesus. That's not me. That's Jesus that said that. 
He said, if any man would come after me. We talk about these things, and we use some of these verses a lot, you know, like being born again. It's because Jesus made these blanket, bold statements. He said to Nicodemus, he said, he said that, like, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom. Like, there were times where he said something to an individual, and then there were times where he said things that were wholesale statements that would be true for every single person. So to the rich young ruler whose wealth was keeping him from following Jesus because he loved his money more than he loved Jesus, he says to this individual, give, everything you, give up everything you have, sell it all, and give it away to the poor. He didn't say to every person that would follow me, take everything you own, sell it, and give it to the poor. We got to be careful. We start making blanket statements where Jesus made individual ones. Right. Now, to every person whose wealth is keeping them from following him today, Jesus would say the same thing. God, what's keeping me from eternal life? What's keeping me from knowing you? Because this is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, and your son whom you sent. So he's asking Jesus, what's keeping me? He said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do so that I have the ability to know you? And Jesus says, here's the thing that's keeping you from knowing me, is you love that more than you love me. So get rid of that, and you can come and know me. And the rich young ruler walks away, and he's sad and upset. And then the next thing, listen, this is the most amazing thing about that statement. The next thing he says is, truly I tell you, anyone who gives up houses, families, he starts listing all these things, but that they will gain a hundredfold in this life and in the next. But you understand that he didn't say that until the rich young ruler walked away, sad, because he loved his stuff more than he loved Jesus. And Jesus didn't chase him down and say, wait, dude, listen, just hold on. Here's the second part. The second part is, is good. If you do that, you'll inherit a hundredfold return. Why? Because he doesn't want him giving away to get. He wants him giving away for love. And then the promise comes. See, that's the thing we, we, we have to understand about him is there's all these promises, but the, but the promise isn't like, like the thing that he promises in return is not supposed to be the motivation. The motivation is, is I can know you. He wanted the rich young ruler to say, so that you're telling me the thing that's keeping me from knowing you is my stuff and my pursuit of it. I'll give it all away because knowing you is greater. That's what he wanted the response to be. Not, hold on, wait a minute. I have 50,000 shekels of gold. He just said, if I give away, I'll get a hundredfold in this slice of 50,000 times 100. Oh my gosh. Holy smoke. Now it's all of a sudden, it's a formula, and I'm still doing it motivated by self rather than out of love. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. But what good is a man, for a man if he gains the world but loses his soul, loses Jesus, loses the ability to know him? Oh, I, cause, cause here's the thing. If he does it for what he gains, then all he ever gets is what he gains because he never gave up and let God deal with the thing in his heart that was keeping him from knowing him. And if he couldn't know, if he couldn't give it up and know him when he had 50,000, he's not going to be able to give it up and know him when he has 50 million. 
He wants you to deal with the thing in your heart so that he can actually give you the things he wants to give you. I'm not just talking about stuff and earthly. That's the least of it. He wants you to deal with the thing in your heart so that he can pour himself out into you in a greater way so that when people start coming to you because of the Jesus in you, there's nothing in you that is living for what you're getting from people because you've already got what you want in finding him. And now all of a sudden the glory goes to him rather than it puffing you up and building your kingdom and building what you're desiring after. You know what? We went, we went to saw Heidi Baker on uh, Thursday night. We went and saw Will Hart on Wednesday, Heidi Baker on Thursday, and, and it was amazing. And you know what was crazy? While we were standing in line, a bunch of times I had people come up to me while we were standing in line or while we were walking around in there, and, and they said things similar to this. They said, hey, I just wanted you to know that we've been following the podcast and we've been following what's going on with your little girl. And it has really blessed me and challenged me to see the way that you guys responded in the face of dealing with your daughter being in the position she was in. Because everything you preached prior to that, we saw you live out in the face of what you were facing. Thank you for the way that you live. And guess what? There's nothing in me that went, why? Because I've already been alone with him and heard his pleasure over my life. When someone recognizes that, all it does is make me turn to him and say, Father, you're so faithful, you're so kind, and thank you that something in my life could cause people to pursue you harder. There's no need in me. There's no need in Patty for people to recognize us or for people to puff us up because we've already been alone with him and received from him everything we're after. So when people say something, it has, I mean, it's cool to hear that for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of God getting glory and for people being challenged and pushed into a place of knowing him. But it has no effect on the way that we live or making us go, wow, look at us. It's all about him getting what he's due. And you know, our response, my response to everyone that says that to me, you know what it is? You'd do the same thing because I believe that about them, because I believe that if they are giving their life to Jesus and they're pursuing him and they put off the old, they put on the new and they're being transformed by the renewing of their mind and they're believing what he says over what people say. That's what denial is. Denial looks like this. Denial looks like sitting in a waiting room when doctors have told you there's a chance your daughter's not going to come out of surgery alive, convinced that she is because of what God has said about her before the accident even happened. So I have to deny one in order to believe the other. You will be called a lot of times to deny things for the sake of what you believe. That's not living a life of like foolish denial. It's saying, I don't deny that a doctor said that, but I would have to deny what God said for that to control the way I live versus this to control the way that I live. That's what the life of Christian denial is. It's not saying, she's not, she's not an accident, she's not an accident, she's not in surgery, there's no chance. no. It says, yes, she was in an accident. Yes, she's in surgery. Yes, they told us that there's this, this, this vein that's floating around in her head that, if, that something is putting pressure on, and if it releases, it'll be instantly catastrophic, and we have to stabilize that. And then we have to go in and start dealing with the damage from the, from the particles that are embedded into her frontal lobes of her brain. And, 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 and it's life-saving, and I'm not going to lie to you, it is like a, a life-and-death situation. And I'm not even going to ask you to sign a waiver because I have to do this. That was all real. But when we were in the waiting room talking to friends and family, and you look over and you see Patty talking to her cousins, and sure, she's concerned, and sure, she's praying, but she's got a smile on her face. She's able to laugh at a story that's being told. And, and, a, and a guy that I know, he's actually a pastor, came over to my mother-in-law and said, is she just like way in denial? Maybe. Maybe because of what she'd already accepted, 
there was a place that she lived in that denied anything that would come against what God had spoke. And it actually held her in that moment. And maybe because people can't believe that they could have that same peace, they can't understand why you have it. So they think that you must be not accepting reality. No, it's I've accepted a greater reality. And I know that this reality has to bow to that one. And so were we praying? Obviously. Were we concerned? 100%. But did we have a peace and a knowing that held us through that time until a doctor walked out of the door and said, the surgery went as better than expected. He's thrilled with how it came. She's stable. He's sewing her up right now. And he'll be out to talk to you guys in a little bit about what it's going to look like. Were any of us in that room surprised when that happened? I know one thing. The people that I know, the people that I was talking to, none of us were shocked, but we were all super thankful. But none of us were surprised. Why? Because we believed what came from the mouth of the Father over what we had heard come out of the mouth of the doctor and what the enemy tried to say. Because in between hearing from the doctor and in between hearing from this doctor, the enemy was in there trying to take what was said and make that the thing that we focused on and make that the thing that we reacted to and responded to and get us to live by what we sensed or what we felt. But the word says that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but we fix our eyes on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That report was a temporary report what God said is an eternal word that will keep us in that place. That's what it looks like to have your be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not that in that moment we were over there reading the Bible and trying to find something to believe. It was, I know whom I believe it, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that, which he's, I've committed unto him against that day. It's, I know the one, that, and, and I'm persuaded that he is able. So that decision was already made a long time ago when I got to know who he was and I heard his promise over our lives and over Leah's life. So that's what kept me in that place because I am, I am fully persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. It's not trying to find it in the moment. I'm not saying, you know, listen, if you find yourself in a place like that and you need to find something, go find it. But what I'm saying is, is it's a whole lot better thing to actually get alone with him and believe and be transformed before you face those things so that your response flows from what you know of him rather than what you're feeling in the moment. That's what it looks like to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because I can't take the credit for that. Because in, in the natural, if I don't know him, and he hasn't changed the way that I think, and he hasn't changed who I am, my response would have been to freak out, curl up in a ball, in a fetal position, and cry my eyes out. And, and my hope and my strength would only be as good as what I heard from a man. And I would be reduced to living in hell until a man came out and gave me a word to change the way that I felt. Man, there's so much better way to live than that. There's a peace that passes understanding. That means it doesn't come from what I understand. It comes from who I know. I trust him. And here's the thing, and, and, and people would say, well, yeah, but what about the times when it doesn't? You know what? For the times that it doesn't, we press into him and we say, God, I don't understand this. And if this is something that I need an answer to in order to be able to live the life you've called me to, I trust that you'll give me one. But until then, I just am capable of saying, God, I trust you with that for now. And I keep on forward, and I keep going forward towards the high mark of the calling, forgetting what lies behind. I press forward towards the high mark of the call. And there may be a day when you call me to know and understand, and when that day comes, I'll know and I'll understand. But until then, I'm just going to keep pursuing you because the next time, I don't want to be thinking about what has been. I want to be thinking about what you've said. So, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that we can be not just change what we do, Father, but we can actually be changed and be transformed, that we can actually put off the old, 
God, that we can put off the old self, which is being corrupted, and we can put on the new, which is made in the likeness of, right, of you in righteousness and holiness of truth. And in between those two, Father, you said, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Father, it's not enough to just abandon the old. I have to learn and I have to see what it looks like to live in the new and allow that to be the thing that I pursue, the righteousness and the holiness. It all makes sense. He became sin that knew no sin, that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He put on my old self so that I could put off my old self. He put off his deity and his righteousness so that I could put on his righteousness. He became who I was so that I could become who he is. And in between those two things is me being renewed in the spirit of my mind. The way that I think being transformed because I see the truth. And I now have faith because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So when I hear him speak, there's this faith that comes into me that knows that this is available and then grace comes upon that and actually changes me. And I'm no longer who I was. I've become more like he is. Father, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.